So Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 1. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked them what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and persevere, producing a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Well, have you ever shared the gospel with someone, uh, but they rejected it? Maybe you tried to share it with a friend or someone at work. Maybe you tried to share the gospel with a family member, but they just didn't want anything to do with it. If you've ever been in that situation, you'll know how disheartening it can feel. It can feel heartbreaking. Uh, And it can also raise questions of self-doubt. Did I do something wrong? Is it my fault they rejected the gospel? It can be a challenging situation to face. Uh, But today as we look at Luke 8, Jesus tells a parable that helps us think through this challenging situation. A parable that addresses the question of different ways people respond to the gospel 
uh, how some reject it uh, and others accept it. As we look at what Jesus uh, says here, we'll see that has a lot to help us uh, as we face situations like that in our daily, daily lives now. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, have a look with me at Luke chapter 8 from verse 4. It says this, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus uh, from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So that is Jesus' parable. You've got a farmer sowing seed and it falls on four different places, four different soils. The path, the rocky ground, among thorns and the good soil. Now, for some of us, um, not all of us, I'm sure, but for some, it might be a fairly familiar thing that you've heard before, and so it may, it may not seem confusing. But if you think about what Jesus has just said here, on its own, it's actually not at all clear what it means. What does the farmer represent? What does the seed represent? And what are each of these four soils? In fact, even Jesus' closest disciples are confused, and in verse 9, they asked him what the parable meant. And this raises an important question. Why does Jesus teach in parables? You know, parables are stories that Jesus often uses to teach, and he's kind of well known for teaching in them. But why does he teach that way? Why teach in parables? Uh, parables are stories that use metaphor to illustrate truth rather than just being spelled out plainly. And so, why does he choose to teach that way? Well, some people say it's because parables are a great teaching tool. They're concrete and memorable. They connect with everyday life. And so people say Jesus teaches in parables because he wants to make things as clear as possible. But there are a couple of problems with that theory. For one, Jesus' parables aren't always very clear. That's why his disciples have to ask what it means in verse 9. And from verse 11, Jesus will explain what this parable in particular means. But first, he answers that broader question of why it is that he teaches in parables at all. So have a look. Let's look what he says and find out. Verse 10, he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. Why? So that those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. Now, here Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 6 in the Old Testament, and he says, he teaches in parables why? So that uh, people may see and understand as clearly as possible? No, quite the opposite. So that though seeing, that is despite seeing superficially, people may not see clearly. Despite hearing, they may not actually understand the deeper message of what Jesus is saying. So what Jesus is telling us here is that he does not teach in parables to make things as clear as possible. No, Jesus teaches in parables to conceal his meaning from those who have hard hearts. That's the context of Isaiah 6. It was God's people who had already 
started rebelling against God, and God sent Isaiah to them with a message that would harden their hearts even further. They had chosen to reject God, and he was giving them what they wanted and confirming them in that rebellion. It's a similar idea to what Jesus says down in verse 18. Have a look. Luke 8, verse 18. He says, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Jesus is saying to those who have, uh, more will be given. That is, to those who have soft hearts, parables are actually a helpful and concrete, memorable teaching tool. For those with soft hearts who want to come to Jesus and, and ask Him, Jesus, tell us more. Jesus, I'm curious. Explain this to me. More will be given. Parables are a great teaching tool. But to those who do not have, those who don't have soft hearts, those who are hard-hearted and unwilling to listen and don't want to hear more, parables actually conceal the message from them because they don't understand it. They're not interested in finding out more. So they say, whatever, Jesus, that's just confusing. Not interested. So Jesus' parables are like a two-pronged fork. They have two different effects on two groups of people. Now, you might be thinking at this point, isn't this unfair? I mean, isn't it unfair that to those who are on outside, well, they don't get the same opportunity to, to fully hear what Jesus is saying? Well, it's important to clarify Jesus does preach the gospel to everyone he meets. He didn't discriminate. Notice back in verse 1 of Luke 8, it says, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news, that is the gospel of the kingdom of God. He's not sharing only with some people, he's sharing the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, to everyone, he's, he's, uh, which is kind of the point in the parable, he's sowing that seed indiscriminately. So the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to everyone, but the secrets of the kingdom, notice that language in verse 10, of what it's like, of the inner workings of it, are only revealed to those who choose to come to Jesus from that initial proclamation with soft hearts and find out more. So this lines up with a lot of what we've seen already in the gospel of Luke, that Jesus came to expose people's hearts. He came to divide people, to show where their spiritual condition really is. The same sun which melts wax, hardens clay. And the same parables which melt some to repentance, will harden the hearts of those who have closed themselves off to Jesus. And it's not unfair, because it's giving them what they already want. If they choose to not be interested in Jesus... That's what he will give them. Okay, so that's why Jesus chooses to teach in parables as a whole. But what about the meaning of this parable in particular, of the sower and the four soils? Well, have a look in your Bibles with me from verse 11, where Jesus explains what it means. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Uh, so notice here that those, are, that those who have hard hearts are pictured as those who are like a path. They're resistant. The message comes in and it doesn't go in at all. They reject it. And after they reject it, what happens? The devil comes along and then takes that away. 
They're not interested, they're not even thinking about it, it's out of sight and out of mind. And that seed that is being sown, Jesus said, is the Word of God. Now, when Christians use the term Word of God, we usually use that phrase to refer to the Bible, and that's an appropriate thing to call it. But it's worth being aware that the majority of the time that the Bible itself uses the phrase Word of God, it's referring not just to the Bible in general, but to the Gospel in particular. The Word of God is the Gospel, God's message of salvation. It's the same Gospel that Jesus was proclaiming back in verse 1. And you could sum up this Gospel of the Kingdom, this, this good news like this. It's the message that Jesus is God's King who will save His people and judge His enemies. Jesus is God's King who will save His people and judge His enemies. And it's important to note that the saving and the judging are really two sides of the same coin. Uh, God can't save His people unless He judges the enemies who are oppressing them. So that's the Word of God uh, in a nutshell, the message of God, which is the seed that is sown in Jesus' parable. But notice something really important. The same seed is sown in all four places. It's not four different seeds, four different messages for four different kinds of people. No, it's one seed, one unchanging gospel message that everyone needs to hear. Uh, The first response, you know, some reject it, some accept it for a time, some receive it and bear um, good fruit. But although the responses are different, the seed is the same. And there's a key application for us here. We must not change the gospel in order to try make people receive it. Sometimes the temptation can be, oh look, maybe people would be a little bit more receptive if we just changed the gospel a little, you know, just maybe tweaked it around the edges. Like, yeah, that stuff about Jesus saving people, stuff about love and forgiveness, yeah, that's great. But the stuff about Jesus being king, about judging his enemies and calling people to repent and obey him, that's just not popular in this day and age. So let's just ignore that stuff and focus on Jesus' love and forgiveness. That might be the temptation, but no, Jesus doesn't leave that option open to us. He says the same message needs to be shared with everyone. So on the one hand, that's a warning against watering down the message, but it's also an encouragement because it shows us that we shouldn't be surprised when people reject the true gospel message. Uh, We should be saddened, absolutely, but not surprised. Jesus is guarding us here against naive expectations. He's showing us if we share the gospel with someone and they reject it, it doesn't necessarily mean we've done something wrong. It's just that the seed is falling on hard and unreceptive soil. Because trust me, even if if the soil is good, if someone's receptive, you can screw all kind of stuff up. You can be inarticulate and not know quite how to say it, and yet the person still receives the gospel. We are weak. It's God's gospel that is powerful, but it's the human heart and whether or not they'll receive it that makes all the difference. Jesus is guarding us against naive expectations. And that's a great encouragement for those moments when we feel disheartened. So that's the first soil, the seed that fell along the path. 
But what about the second one? Let's look at the second soil, the rocky ground. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 13. Jesus says, Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. So unlike the first soil uh, who rejects the gospel, the second person initially receives it with joy. But they don't have deep roots, and so when hard times come, they turn away from Jesus. Todd White is an American evangelist who's been doing ministry for many years, Uh, but uh, you may not have heard of him, but if you have, he's known for being part of the prosperity gospel movement. Now, I don't know if you're aware of the prosperity gospel, but it's a distortion of Christianity that teaches that if you follow Jesus, you'll receive prosperity and healing and blessing guaranteed in this life. And Todd White was a well-known member of that movement for many years. But a couple of years ago, a video came out of him giving a sermon where he was openly repenting of his errors, repenting of the false gospel uh, he had been preaching. It's quite a remarkable video. He's, he's in tears as he turns away from this false message. Now, it's important to know for context over the years, a lot of people had been converted through his ministry, people giving their lives to Christ. He was an evangelist. But he described how recently, for the first time, he actually looked at the records that they'd kept of people who gave their life to Christ and discovered that 85% of them had later fallen away and turned away from Jesus. Not just like one or two people or kind of one in four here and there turned away from Jesus. 85%. And he was heartbroken He was shocked, he was confused, and he was wondering, why was this happening? And he shares that he came to realize that a big reason it was happening in such large numbers, it's one thing for it to happen in a small number, Jesus says that can happen even if you're preaching the true gospel, but it was happening in such large numbers, is that he'd been preaching a distortion of the gospel. At one point in his talk, he says, and I quote, it's hard for me because I feel like I haven't preached the whole gospel, and I repent. He had preached about the love and forgiveness of Jesus but not about the sin and judgment that we deserve, that God graciously saves us from. He had preached about the joy that comes from knowing Jesus, but not the suffering and the persecution that we'll face in this life as followers of Jesus. He'd given people this expectation that if you trust in Jesus, you'll have prosperity and your life will be easy. Naive expectations. And so people had come in droves for this message. Oh, easy life, sign me up. Who wouldn't want that? But they'd never really submitted to Jesus as king to start with. They were just using him as a means to an end. A way to make themselves happy. And so when Jesus didn't make them happy anymore, well, I can do away with him. So Todd White was heartbroken as he shares this, and he repents of this watered-down gospel he'd been preaching. And he uh, shares a story he had heard that really convicted him, a story that illustrates the difference between a watered-down gospel and the true gospel. Here's the story as he shared it. He says, picture two men who are seated on a plane. A stewardess gives the first man a parachute and instructs him to put it on because it will improve his flight. Not understanding how a parachute could possibly improve his flight, the first passenger is a little skeptical 
Uh, finally, he decides to see if the claim is true. And so he, he straps it on and he notices it's pretty heavy and uncomfortable. He has difficulty even sitting upright. But consoling himself with the promise of a better flight, he decides to give it a little time. But because he's the only one wearing a parachute, some of the other passengers begin smirking at him and making fun of him. Finally, unable to stand it any longer, he slumps in his seat, unstraps the parachute, throws it to the floor. Disillusionment and bitterness fill his heart because as far as he's concerned, he was told a lie. But picture this second man. Another stewardess gives the second man a parachute, but listen to her instructions. It's not to to improve his flight. She tells him to put it on because at any moment, he's going to be jumping out of that plane at 25,000 feet. Our second passenger gratefully puts it on. He doesn't mind the weight on his shoulders. His mind is consumed with thought of what would happen if he jumped without it. When the other passengers laugh at him, he's thinking, it's not funny, he says to them. You're going to need a parachute too. The first man, his motive for putting on a parachute was solely to improve his flight. And it left him disillusioned and embittered, wanting nothing to do with it. The second man put on the parachute to escape the danger of the upcoming jump because he knew what would happen to him without it. He had a deep-rooted joy and his attitude towards the stewardess who gave him the parachute was one of heartfelt gratitude. You see the message of, the, of that story that he's sharing? The first one is a me-centered gospel and he realized that's the one that he'd been preaching. Come to Jesus because it will improve your life. But But that's a lie. That's not the true gospel. That's using Jesus as a means to an end, and it will only end in disillusionment. And brothers and sisters, that is one of the big reasons that we must not change the gospel like we saw before. A watered-down gospel won't save anyone. The true gospel is that Jesus is both Savior and Lord, that He's the one who both saves and judges. That Jesus calls us to repent, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. The gospel is not a ticket to a comfortable life. And the clearer we are on that, the deeper our roots will be. And the more strength we will have to draw on when times of testing come. Because they will come. Now to be clear... Even when we do preach the true gospel, Jesus is saying that some will initially receive it with joy, but then later turn away. But if we water down the gospel to try and make it more attractive, we will only make it more and more likely that people have shallow roots and fall away. So that's the second soil, the rocky ground. And third, Jesus says that some seed falls among thorns. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 14. Jesus says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, and are choked, uh, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So, similar to this second soil, this person initially hears the gospel and takes it to heart, but later runs into problems. But this time, it's not hardship or the time of testing that's the problem. It's not hardship that's the problem, but rather comfort. It's life's worries and riches and pleasures that end up choking this person's faith so that they don't produce the fruit God desires. 
And I've got to say, this is a big warning for us, especially given that we live in Australia, where we live extremely comfortable lives. Even for those among us who are poor uni students, we get to enjoy a level of comfort that even kings from 500 years ago could have only dreamed of. Aircon, fridge, running water, smartphones. And those things are good in so many ways, but they're also dangerous. For those of us here tonight who trust in Jesus, we've got to ask ourselves, am I in danger of allowing wealth and comfort to slowly start getting a stranglehold on me? Are they holding me back from maturing? It's a striking image that Jesus is giving us here, isn't it? It's not something coming out of nowhere with one clean sweep, cutting the plant in two. No, it's far more subtle. It's far more slow, the slow creeping up of thorns that slowly wind their ways around our hearts. Imperceptible at first, but deadly. So we've got to ask, are those things creeping up on me? Life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Now you could ask this on a macro, uh, big picture level, or, or zoomed in as well. On a macro, big picture level, we're at a time of year when a lot of people are making big decisions about what they might do next year. Work, a study, part-time job, all kinds of things. So it's worth asking, as you weigh up what you do, how much is your decision-making being influenced by life's worries, riches, and pleasures? How much is your decision-making being influenced by what is comfortable for you, rather than by what is most honouring to God and loving to others? Those are important questions to ask ourselves. Now, that's the, the big picture level, but it's true of, on a smaller decisions as well. If we zoom in, we could ask something like this. In the last week, how much of the way I've used my time and money were based around my own comfort, rather than seeking to honour God and grow in maturity as a disciple of Jesus? Let me be honest, if you're anything like me, those are challenging but important questions to ask because my heart is far too easily swayed by what's most comfortable. But Jesus is telling us this because He loves us and He wants us to be on guard. So that's the third soil, the seed among thorns. Now finally, the good soil. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verse 15. Jesus says, But the good... Uh, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, all four people heard the gospel, but it's only this last one, the good soil, that produces a crop. So, what is it that separates it? What makes the difference? Well, according to Jesus, it's nothing fancy. It's simply someone with a soft heart that's receptive, who does what? hears the word, retains it, holds on to it, and perseveres, producing a crop. Day by day, step by step, putting God's word into practice. It's similar to what you see down in verse 21, when Jesus commands as his family, as his brothers and sisters, anyone who hears God's word and puts it into practice. It's nothing fancy or complicated, you know, it's not impressive. Uh, if you've ever watched a plant bear fruit, uh, it's slow. 
It is gradual. Day by day, you might not notice any change at all. But the long-term result is profound. And that is the image that Jesus uses to describe someone whose heart is soft and receptive to His Word. It's not impressive. It's not going to make any news headlines. Day by day, step by step, putting God's Word into practice. In this parable, Jesus tells us about four soils, four different responses that someone might have to the gospel. So it's worth asking, which kind of soil do you want to be? Now, the way I'm asking that question is quite intentional. It's not which soil are you, but rather which soil do you want to be? Because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite possible to misunderstand what Jesus is doing with this parable. It's quite e- easy to, to misinterpret what Jesus is saying. And to look at this, kind of like a Myers-Briggs test. Like Jesus is giving us these four soils, and you take a little test, and you're one or the other, and just that's how you are. That's how you are by nature, and you can't do anything about it. Like, oh man, if I read this in the first or second soil, or whichever it is, sounds like me, I guess I'm doomed. There's no hope for first soils like me. That's just how I am. But that is not at all what Jesus is saying. And there's a few very clear clues in context that make that obvious. Look at verse 8. What does he say after he tells the parable? When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Notice that he's calling out. He doesn't say, Whoever thinks they happen to be predestined to be the fourth soil, let them hear. No, he says, whoever has ears. It's an open invitation. So I haven't looked closely, uh, but I think most of us here tonight do have ears. And so if that's you, Jesus is inviting you to hear, to listen. And not only to hear, but to consider carefully how you hear. Have a look again in verse 18. Notice another big clue. Jesus says, Therefore consider carefully how you listen. The parable of the four soils is not saying, well, you're either this one or that one, you can't do anything about it. It, No, it's an invitation. An invitation to consider carefully how you listen. He's helping us grow in self-awareness about the nature of our hearts, each one of us. And to proactively and prayerfully seek to guard our hearts against the things that might hold us back from living for Jesus and bearing fruit for Him. So the question is not, which kind of soil am I, but which kind of soil do I want to be? And this is the all-important question, because it is our heart that really governs whether or not we'll actually listen to Jesus. You know, a lot, of people that, a lot of people think that the main objections to Christianity are all about the head. They're all intellectual. They think that the problem is a lack of historical or scientific evidence. But if there really was a lack of historical evidence, it's worth asking, why are there so many world-class historians who see their field as presenting such strong evidence for Christianity? If there really was a contradiction between science and Christianity, it's worth asking, 
How is it that there can be so many world-class scientists who see perfect harmony between science and Christianity? Now, this is not a sermon about the historical or scientific evidence for Christianity, although there are times that we'll do those as well, because there is an important place for them. But it's worth just thinking about that on a high level. It doesn't prove Christianity is true, but if the main problems were really intellectual, why are there so many people who are so intellectually robust who see no contradiction between their field of discipline and their faith in Jesus, if it was really a problem of the head? Uh, Francis Collins is a, is a geneticist who led the Human Genome Project, a groundbreaking effort that took pl- over a decade in identifying, mapping and sequencing all the genes in the human genome. A remarkable project. And in his book, The Language of God, uh, which is brilliant, I can highly, highly recommend it, uh, Col- Francis Collins writes this, In this modern era of cosmology, evolution and the human genome, is there still the possibility of a richly satisfying harmony between the scientific and spiritual worldviews? I answer with a resounding yes. In my view, there is no conflict between being a rigorous scientist and being a person who believes in a God who takes personal interest in each one of us. The problem is not a lack of evidence. The problem is not fundamentally intellectual. So if it's not lack of evidence, what is it? Well, let me submit to you that the problem is not the lack of evidence. The problem is the lens through which we choose to view the evidence. The problem is not our head. The problem is our hearts that, if we're not careful, bias us to reject the evidence because of our a priori assumptions and presuppositions. Uh, And this is true whether you're a Christian or not. Secular psychology uh, is showing us increasingly in the last couple of decades what the Bible in one very important sense has long been saying to be true, that we are ultimately governed more by what we want to believe and then we post hoc rationalise the evidence to fit what, what we already want to be true. So if you're considering Jesus, if you're here tonight and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, we're so glad you're here. My encouragement would be to you is don't just consider the evidence as important as that is, but also to consider your own heart. Or to use Jesus' language, consider carefully how you listen. Maybe you're here and you know that deep down your heart is hard. Your heart is closed off towards Jesus and that's affecting the way you view things. Friend, if that's you, then see this parable as Jesus' invitation to you. Take him up on that invitation to consider carefully how you listen. Take him up on that invitation. Come to him in prayer and say, Jesus, I want to be more open to you than I am. Jesus, I know that my heart has been hard. Please, Jesus, soften it and draw me to yourself. Pray that to him. And I guarantee that if you pray that prayer, if you find yourself willing to do that, then even that is a sign that God is already at work in your heart to soften you towards Him. To draw you to Himself. For each one of us tonight, no matter where we're at with Jesus, His parable, the four soils, is not only a challenge... It's also an encouragement against naive expectations, but it's also an invitation. 
whether we feel our hearts have been hard, whether we feel we've been following a me-centered gospel that's all about us, or whether we've been feeling the pull of wealth or comfort, and we didn't even really notice it creeping up on us until Jesus drew our attention to it. So wherever each one of us are at, Jesus has a word for us this evening. So it's worth asking, which kind of soil do you want to be? Let me lead us in prayer as we consider that question. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus. Thank you for that good news that we've been reminded of tonight, that Jesus is your King who came to save his people and judge his enemies. And thank you for how Jesus not only reveals you to us, but also exposes our hearts to help us grow in self-awareness of where we stand before you. Father, for those of us who are following Jesus but struggling with the pull of wealth and comfort, help us to guard ourselves against the dangers of living for self. Father, for those of us who are tempted to only follow Jesus when things are easy, please give us deep roots. Please guard us against naive expectations. Help us to treasure Jesus and keep following him, even through the times of testing that will certainly come. And Father, for those who feel their heart has been hard, Please soften it by your grace and draw them to yourself. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.